like to apologize to everybody uh members of the wga but we will still be going on with our podcast <laughs> even though everybody has told us we should stop because of the strike and mm. we're sorry but not that sorry because we're gonna keep doing it anyways <laughs> too true i mean i was gonna make a joke about we won't use struck work but um <laughs> That's like our bread and butter at this point, I guess. So. Struck work. <laughs> no, I think anyone who has listened to three seconds of this show can tell you that none of it was pre-written at all. <laughs> if, if we had writers working for us, it would be a lot better. There would be a lot more going on than yeah, there is. Exactly. We're just doing the long con of like proving the point that writers are essential and they elevate any work they touch. So um, you're welcome. For falling on her sword in such a public way. Yeah, yeah. We're actually like the writer's number one uh, <laughs> weapon. They just keep sending clips of our show to the <laughs> studios and being like, this is what you could have. You yeah. could have this. And they're like, no, back to the bargaining table we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're welcome. Um, but yeah, no, Drew Barrymore stepped in it. And I was worried we wouldn't get to talk about it because it happened while you were in Toronto last week. Um and I hurriedly was like, oh, my gosh, Drew's a scab. Like, look at this, Matt. Look at what you're missing. Look at what I can't talk about. But luckily – And I think my response was, I have no idea what you're speaking <laughs> yeah, about like, because I was in a Toronto <laughs> fugue state where news does not enter. Like, if it's not something directly involved with the festival, you don't know about it. <laughs> yeah, so a fun little mystery for you. Um but yeah, she announced that her show is going to come back without writers, and she thought that would be good enough, that everyone would be happy with her because she's like, these these trying times, like, I've always shown up for you, and I want to be there to, again, and like, we won't, we'll like adhere to my, you know, sag after rules, but uh, WGA can just go fuck itself, you know, I... <laughs> I think she just expected people to be like, oh, you're so thoughtful in your like gentle announcement and like, yes, everyone needs jobs and, and you're not doing any harm because you're like, you're like a news channel. It's like the news. We all deserve it. Um, but it was quickly met with derision and confusion and the strike moved to Drew Barrymore's stage doors. Um, it was like, sure, a little complex in the sense that it's not like she like sag stood by her and was like yeah she's not breaking rules it's not a struck show um but by not having writers it's just sending a message that like oh writers aren't essential which is obviously bad for the writer's strike but um i don't know if you saw some of the some of the pushback she got lots of memes lots of moments lots of humor uh lots yeah. of mocking I mean, it's confusing, like, just in general, the sort of SAG, WGA yeah. rules as to who they apply to and who they don't in this, like, uh, 
talk show newscaster kind of space because you have things like the late night shows which immediately went off the air but then like daytime stuff and news shows which presumably have writers are still on the air but those writers aren't are a part of a different union Uh, it's it's all sort of very confusing and then some shows that like have writers but a lot of it isn't written so then they're just kind of like okay well we'll go on without the writers and won't do those bits what we'll do the others so it's it's like very murky water i feel like even for us who are paying more attention to this than the average person and so when when this started happening i was like wait is this like is she being a scab or is this fine and people just don't understand like what's going on um but yeah no it turns out like i think a lot of her show is pre-written by WGA members. Yeah. Um, and so obviously they went and st- striked there. Well, and but- they didn't even know that she was coming back on. Like she didn't even have the decency to like warn her writers that like, oh, sorry, we're going to do this without you. Like they just found out with the rest of the world, Yeah, and- which is unfortunate. And I can see like how if you're running a show like that, you know, there's tons of other people on staff who aren't right. working like i for example have a friend who will Voss, who's been on the podcast before who works for the daily show and so that's been off air for you know months now and she's yeah. been working as a waitress sort of like biding her time because she knows that whenever it gets back up and running she'll have a job again that's full-time so it's not like she really wants to look for a different job but at the same time like, what do you do? Because you're not making any money. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So I can sort of see, like, that point of view. But also, it's like, if you hold out and don't have your show on the air, then that's more reason for these studios to sign on to the and agree to the WGA's terms, which they need to. And I think the fact that the tide of public opinion shifted so quickly against Drew Barrymore really speaks a lot to where like the general populace stands in the strike. I don't think this is a, well, some people are on the side of the studios and some people are on the side of the writers. I think it's like almost unanimously that everybody is on the side of the writers and actors. And the longer this goes on, just like the worse and worse and worse and worse, this, these studios look to the point now where I saw an article today that both the talk and Jennifer Hudson's shows, which were so, which were in the works to come back, have both sort of preemptively decided that they're not coming back until after mm-hmm. the strike. Um, and then also I saw that there's a move on Twitter and amongst the WGA members to get Dancing with the Stars not to come back because mm. that's a show that there has been writers for and even though it's a reality tv show and i guess that like you wouldn't normally think about it that way that the um that yeah the wga has worked with them for all seasons of the show and they're saying that it should stop and i kind of wonder if that will end up happening because i feel like the amount of pressure that they put on the drew barrymore show they're like yeah let's just put that pressure on dancing with the stars and see what happens um obviously that's going through it because she's been like she posted a sort of acknowledgement apology video at first where she's like, I'm still doing this, but like, just know it's really hard for me. Um, she was like, no, I don't have a PR machine behind this. This is just me. And it's like, yeah, we know. And um, and so she posted this like long four minute rambling video where she was basically like asking people to still like her, even though they disagreed with her. And then she deleted that. And then the next day is when she announced like, okay, fine. I've been listening and learning. 
I won't come back. And so, yeah, I think it is interesting to watch the the power of it because when she did announce that she was coming back, that's when Jennifer Hudson and the and um, the talk and Bill Maher were all like, "Okay, we're coming back too," but then the public pressure forced them all back into their little. Well, shadows. not Bill Maher; he's still coming. No, he announced he was. He announced today that he's he's going to delay. Oh, did he? Yeah. In the article I read, he hadn't done that yet, but I guess, okay, yeah, well, there no, you go. it was like just breaking today that he decided to pause. Um, so bullying works. And I <laughs> I think, yeah, For to your point, it is like complicated, but that's the point in standing with labor is that you have to like put the pressure on and like make the sacrifices now so that there is that motivation to deal Um and also there are other ways to support um, the people on her staff who aren't getting paid or whatever. Like like you look at the late night hosts and they all are doing their silly little podcasts, but like at least that's all going to pay for their, you know, out of work staff and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a chance for her to really examine like what she stands for and um, <laughs> there's an opportunity to be better. Um, yeah, definitely. So, and I mean, you know, I I don't know. I feel like, yes, not great for her to go through this, but she ended up doing the right thing. So yeah. probably by the time the strike ends, everyone will be fine with Drew Barrymore again. Um, yeah. Well, like, and I feel like it is ultimately, like you said, kind of good that this happened because it does like highlight the public pressure um, in a way where if they hadn't have tried and gotten, you know, eviscerated <laughs> then maybe the powers that be wouldn't have wouldn't have thought it was that big a deal type thing yeah i wonder what other things were sort of lurking in the works that studios are now like uh, yeah maybe we're let's like, not try it. that yeah but speaking of other writing drama i don't know if you've been following this hassan minhaj um minhaj oh stuff. yes i did see this yeah so hassan is famous for his like You know, he did the Patriot Act with Netflix, which was sort of this like comedy political show. So he would like present like, you know, different stories and facts and like do it through humor. But that was all because he's this comedian who's his two specials so far have also been this sort of like humorous speaking truth to power type of comedy we get nowadays, which is very much less like laugh tracky, like here's the punchline, you're welcome. And much more like I have a message that I'm making more palatable through humor. And so the New Yorker did this whole expose. They called it a profile. <laughs> I felt like it was an expose where it came out that he he lied about a bunch of things, which it's like his argument is it's comedy, it's jokes. Like everything, every comedian lies, every comedian exaggerates, which totally true. But the things that he's lying about weren't like just exaggerations about like, oh, this person said this or like the timing of this happened here. It was like literally (laughs) the core emotional essence of his stand-up routines. Um, Most glaringly with The Homecoming King, (laughs) he, which was his first special. And um, he has this really powerful, like funny, story about how he in high school was dating this white chick and 
he asked her to prom and she said yes. And he was so excited. And he shows up day of and he sees a white boy with her and she's like, oh, I didn't know how to tell you, but my parents don't want me to go to prom with you because you're brown type thing. And so it's like a very like gut punch, like racism in your face, poor kid type of story. And then the rest of it goes into like how years later when he's now a successful comedian, he gets a DM from her and she's like pulling a skater boy moment and is like, I want to come to your show. Like, can you help us get tickets? Like, it's so great to see you succeed, blah, 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 blah. And so he gets this sort of like vindication and then ultimately realizes she married an Indian. And so now he's like, righteous retribution and outing her. And so he he shared her name, he shared her photo, and that was the whole shtick. And it didn't happen. He, he he was like, yeah, so we weren't dating. She told me no after I asked her days before the prom. So it's not like it wasn't this like big dramatic porch moment. But like I wanted to speak about the emotional truth of like what that feels like and how so many brown kids have that moment on the porch, which I find just like <gasps> mind boggling. And the, you know, the general public is like all the comments and stuff are like, oh, it's just comedy. No one should believe anything a comedian says. And other people are like, this is literally like the worst lie you could tell because it one outs a real person and paints them to be someone that they might not be and affects her life to this day. Um, but two, it's also just like, I mean, we, we're sympathizing with you because of this story. It's not just for laughs. It's like an actual, you know, trauma point we're supposed to like mourn with you over. Yeah. So I have some questions because I famously don't like stand-up comedy yes. and find it sort of annoying. And so I never <laughs> watch stand-up specials. I actually did go to a stand-up uh, set this past weekend because a friend of mine was in town and wanted to go and it was the first stand-up routine that mm. I'd seen in I don't know years and I was like oh yeah okay this is a, this is reminding me on why I don't do this it's just <laughs> sort of like meh whatever like I, I don't know I just don't enjoy them and part of the reason is that they tell these stories and I'm like none of this make sense you know what I mean it's yeah. like they'll be like so I just got back on the dating apps last week and it's like I don't believe that like I know how comedy works and that you have these bits that you work out and, you know, practice over time. So like, sure. When you created the bit, Oh, I just got back on the dating apps last week. Maybe that was true, but I'm like, you probably told this joke a hundred times now. Yes. And so it's like, why? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird to go watch these things <laughs> where it's like, they're talking about their life, but it's obviously not accurate. And then it's just like, I don't know. Anywho, it's that's funny. neither here nor there. But the um, so couple questions. One, like if he released all of this girl's information back when the comedy special came out, why didn't she just at any point be like, "That's not true," or did she? I think for the most part, she's pretty private, and she, oh, okay, you know, tried to keep on avoiding the spotlight, which was forcibly. Put I'm on like, her. did she know that? Like, did he tip so, her off yeah, ahead so of time? She. So that he was going to tell so her, her that, story tell the story in this article, the New Yorker talked to her. And so it's just a very brief like little moment where she's like, yeah, I he we had like we did talk and I did want to come to a show and he got me tickets and, you know, he was like everything was positive. And so I thought we were having this like, you know, because they were friends. They weren't like that's the other thing is he said that they'd been dating, that they were exes. 
but she was like, we were just close friends in high school. And I told him no to the prom, but like it wasn't, you know, whatever. And so anyway, so she goes to one of these tapings or, you know, the pre-work for what would become the special and was like, oh, <laughs> that's different than how I remember it. And Hassan in this article is like, oh, sorry. I, sorry. There's a package delivery. Just a second. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> sorry about that. <clears throat> Wild. Anyways. Um, so, yeah. So they he was like, oh, we just have different interpretations of how that felt type thing but it's like yeah I totally I totally agree that you go to a comedy show you're not expecting a biography right like it's all played for laughs and that's something Hassan says where he's like I'm not going to sacrifice the punchline for the truth which would be fair if it was like you know your general brand of comedy where it's like over the top like like punchlines but but these aren't punchlines. Like, what's the punchline to being stood up at the door and, like, using that as, like, an emotional, like, gut punch to your whole, like, thesis, which is that, like, you know, it's about his experience as a brown man in America. And so, I don't know. It just feels different. And then the other one is, like, he lied about, like, his child being exposed possibly exposed to anthrax after he became yes. this political figure. Yeah, that's the headline I saw. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like it just seems like there should be a line especially with him where he does like dabble in truth telling, right? Like he's made himself a political kind of like pundit and yet he's Well, yeah, cuz now like he's like a newscaster almost. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Or I, I guess was because he's doesn't. Yeah, yeah, that show was canceled. But he's like in the running to take over the Daily Show. And I think it's just like, you know, it's different to be funny for laughs, but to instead like make it your experience as a, you know, I brown just- Muslim yeah, I mean, I do think it does there is a difference between like changing the facts on this story and changing the facts on a story of like, oh, me and my friends went to Atlantic City and it's like yeah. I drank so much and fell into a bush or whatever and then it's like, okay, you didn't actually fall into a bush. Like like that's yeah. a story that's not really doing anything to anybody right. where this is a story that like is more uh, has more weight to it and so you sort of have to know the lines there. But what I don't understand is like why like, if you're a comedian, aren't you supposed to be able to make, like, normal things funny? Like, why exactly. do you have to be like, able to make up things? And if you yeah. want to make up things, you can. There's a whole industry of that. It's like sitcoms, you yeah. know? Like, <laughs> like I don't. Storytelling yeah, festival. it's like if you yeah. want to come up with these storylines, like, then you can do that. But just yeah. on a, in a different form. You just can't say, like, this happened to me. You have to say, like, no, yeah. there's a fictional character. And these are the things that are happening to them. Right. It'd be like if. John Mulaney is like, well, actually, I'm not a recovering addict. Or like Rothaniel is like, well, I'm not gay, but I thought it would be more powerful to like tell this emotional story because it's true for so many people. And it's like, well, I think it's like, you know, the dressings of comedy can always be exaggerated and sort of hyperbolic. But if you're like relying on the emotional connection to an audience, then that emotional truth 
should be yours. <laughs> so I don't know if it's going to really affect him. He seemed unbothered in the New Yorker response. Like, he's like, whatever. People should know better than to, like, trust every word I say. Like, he doesn't he doesn't see why people would be offended by this. Um, and I think it's because to him it's, like, it's a funny story. But it's like, well, the humor is not the thing people are mad about. Like, it's like, wait, you just manipulated me to get to a point that's not even true so like how can I trust you when you're trying to tell me something true at this point right yeah so it's messy it's sticky I don't know how it will impact him going forward um but yeah the story that I want to talk about which I feel like has probably the same amount of philosophical and emotional weight to it is the uh in sync reunion that's happened oh, wow. is happening <laughs> pending for the trolls movie which yeah. i would just like to say that this goes to my general theory which is all groups will have a reunion when their most famous person is no longer relevant and i think that justin timberlake for several years now has been nearing that point and uh and we are now getting the reunion or it happened at the VMAs. They like, they, they didn't, did they perform at the VMAs no, or did they, they just presented. come out? Yeah. They presented and then they have a song that's coming out with the new trolls movie, but we haven't heard it yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Justin Timberlake posted a like short behind the scenes of the hook and all his band members coming together. There's the love there, man. Lots of fist pumping and back, you know, back clapping and all that masculine joy. Um, Yeah, I don't think, I think (laughs) what's funny is everyone did expect like, oh, they're going to do a residency or, oh, they're going to do a tour. Um, But I don't think Justin Timberlake has given up on the hope of his own relevance. Like the way he talks in the behind the scenes is like, man, I knew we needed to come together. Like, this is some of my best work, and I wanted you to be a part of this album. Like, because it's going to be on his on his next, like, studio album as well. So I don't know if they're going to s- announce a tour anytime soon still, but it is funny that, like, now he deigns to interact with them. <laughs> well, I mean, I presumably this song will do well um i mean provided it's not terrible i think a lot of people will listen to it if it's good that's great i don't know if the same can be said for justin timberlake's music in general (laughs) and then also like justin timberlake had a movie at tiff that nobody watched nobody talked about i feel like he's had a string of films that sort of just didn't happen at all and, um, like, the one that he supposedly cheated on Jessica Biel during, like, what was that? I can't even remember. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we're getting closer to some sort of reunion. I guess, like, okay, if you're them, does it make sense? Like, would you put out an album and then tour? Or, like, have a – or just, like, tour on the old stuff? Like, how does that usually work for these kinds of bands? Oh, reunion tours are usually just, like, nostalgic. Like, Like, it's not like I guess Jonas Brothers put out new music. Well, yeah, but that was, like, yeah, they did. And Um, the Backstreet Boys did. Yeah, but New Kids on the Block and, like, um, S Club 7, they're not, like, putting out new songs just to tour that album. It's like I think some of S Club 7's members are dead. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, S Club is definitely back on tour because I got an alert that they're coming to LA. So, and you were like, down to five, smash <laughs> the purchase button. S yeah. Club, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I wouldn't. I I see that in their future for sure. I just don't know when Justin Timberlake will finally be, you know, like give up his dreams. Yeah. Well, get, I, I think in the next five years. Yeah. <laughs> what what will it, you 20, be going? Is that a priority for you? I mean, I really do like and sync. Yeah. Or I mean, and like their music. I I'm a big JC fan, and I sort of feel like a reunion is like I think within a reunion setting, the most powerful person is JC. Yes. Because I think that Justin Timberlake, by the reunion happening, Justin Timberlake <laughs> is sort power. of like emasculated. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like the fact that you have to do this is sort of embarrassing for you. Yes. And I think Joey and Chris and Lance, you know, were always sort of like lesser than they've been doing the circuit on like celebrity cooking shows and whatnot. <laughs> and so I think JC is sort of like the C. Like, and people want JC. Like, and JC you come crawling back to me. Also, JC is the coolest one in the band. Like, yeah. always was. I was always a JC fan above <laughs> a Justin Timberlake fan. I will say that. Um, Should have been, been a red flag to everybody how much I loved uh, <laughs> JC as like an eight year old. But, whoo, baby. Yeah, he did it for you. Yeah, maybe that was my sexual awakening <laughs> and I didn't even realize it. Well, I also wanted to point out. Um, our our audience was kind enough to point out that Anne Hathaway, your favorite, she recently came out with news, and I wasn't sure if it if it hurt your feelings, if it rocked your world. Um, but she said one of her favorite songs right now is "Antihero" by Taylor Swift. You know, I did not see this news. <laughs> um, I think if we go back to the episode where we talked about that album i did say that that was my favorite song oh, off of the cute. album so that would make <laughs> sense um i also yeah. just saw a movie last night it's a new anne hathaway movie that's coming out yeah. called she came to me which is not my love it or hate it because it doesn't come out for like another month or so and oh, is like a very it it's like a super small like weird movie yeah. but it was very very good <laughs> and it's like the weirdest sort of level of rom-com kind of thing you know like it feels very like something that you would have seen in the 90s where it's like this sort of ensemble cast with these different stories going on marissa tomei is like a tugboat operator peter dinklage writes operas uh and he married his therapist who is anne hathaway who's like an ocd uh woman it's very bizarre <laughs> but it's it's very good and Anne Hathaway is great in it so I feel like yeah. her comeback is pending also I've heard great things about Aileen which is those sort of lesbian drama that comes out in December and I think she needs a comeback I think she's been back I think she's well I mean that. yeah I mean she's not she doesn't need a comeback in that like yes she's been looking stylish as hell like <laughs> like so many viral moments the past couple of years but i feel like she has yet to have the movie comeback that i want her to you know what i mean like she hasn't been nominated for an oscar she's had performances that i thought have been good right. but have not like quite like landed in the same way okay. so i'm i'm ready for her to just have the moment where it's like yes like right. this okay. woman the bar is high is for you talented yeah. Okay. you know yeah 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 i mean i would argue that Everyone agrees. She just hasn't. Yeah, I right. see your point. I see yeah, your point. I'm like, I'm like, I need, and like Armageddon time, and yeah. like was not quite doing what I needed it to do. Right, for sure. 
And, you know, to her credit, she was like, I will not be pulled into any Stan Wars. And she listed a song by Taylor Swift, Olivia Rodrigo, and Beyonce. So she was making sure that... Wait, what Beyonce wore? What Beyonce song did she list? Break My Soul. Okay. Pretty basic. basic. Well, so is Antihero. So (laughs) maybe she's not listening to that much music these days. You know, Annie, Annie, love her. She's our basic queen. And I think that's something she's been able to embrace more fully after the half of haters were silenced once and for all. So, you know, it's great. Uh, Women's interests and most basic tendencies are still valid. So thank you to Anne for representing that. I just got an alert that the Sound of Freedom subject was ousted from the anti-trafficking organization <laughs> following sexual misconduct investigation. Yeah. So not disgusting. only the producer, but now the, oh my gosh, this Tim movie. Ballard. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. I've been on the Tim Ballard hate train since the Save Our Children. Like, honestly, since before 2020, like I've always found his entire organization sus. I think he's disgusting. He's just a ego white savior. Blah probably honestly part of the reason i left the church he's a monster <laughs> wait is he mormon oh yeah <laughs> i was like i've never heard of this person not y'all it's i didn't watch the movie huge... no i know i know you shouldn't watch the movie okay but well, great he's I did been it. around he does the operation underground railroad which is where he goes and saves brown children in you know developing countries from like um what would it be called like you know uh, like warlords like, or no like sex like oh you, you know they're being sold as sex yes slaves type sex thing. slaves yeah. but turns out he just wants them as his sex slaves. <laughs> yeah, no there's been huge problems with him he's been a, a every major industry against sex trafficking every major like organization has been like our is actually horrible at this they sometimes will like pay off officials to be like we're coming in for a it's just like little boys who want to pretend they're like Navy SEALs. So they'll just storm into places, you know, yelling and pointing flashlights and then like rescue these girls and then just leave them again. So it's like there's so many exposés out there about him and I just want him to disappear. <laughs> so maybe this will be the thing that does it because he even got the church, the church to release a statement that says they don't condone his actions which the LDS church never talks about individuals like ever, ever, ever. So they didn't even come out against Trump during the election. So that's how I mean, I guess that. sex trafficking children, if if you're going to come out against something, that would be the one to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's not to be, you know, avoid any litigious, um, you know, list, would be listeners. He, Tim Ballard is not accused of sex trafficking himself. It's just his methods for quote unquote stopping sex trafficking are very messy and ineffective and, and turn the attention away from actual uh, progressive organizations. So, hmm. Okay. You didn't well. hear it here. <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything? Do you have any other stories? No, that probably covers it. Okay. Do you want to do love it or hate it? Yes. Um, speaking of teen angst and favorite bands, I wanted to oh, talk we're about talking Olivia about Rodrigo's Rodrigo. new album. Okay. Um, I did listen yes. to this, or yeah, partially. I think it's fun. I honestly, I it it was less than I wanted, but then it grew on me. Um, 
So first listen, I was kind of disappointed, but I actually have revisited a lot of songs and I'm like, okay, this is a bop. Like I think, um, you know, I deeply relate to Ballad of a Homeschool Girl for better and worse. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's a line on there where she says, everything I do is tragic. Every guy I like is gay. And that spoke to a piece of my soul I forgot I had. Um, Wait, did you have a crush on me when we met, Shelby? (laughs) Is that what you're trying to say? Famously, I was like, is he gay? Is that the diversity higher we're going for on this turn. <laughs> and and the office said yes. Actually, you know what it was is you know what? I stood up for you, Matt, and I was like, I don't I don't know if he's gay. So maybe that was like the you know lingering of You said he didn't technically my... say on the resume yeah, that he exactly. was. I was like, so... I don't think we should be profiling here. Like I just because he has that voice, you know, like what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Rude. Rude, rude, rude. I could, sound, I could sound straight if I wanted to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay. Anywho. Anyways, anyways. Moving on. I think Olivia, you know, she continues to strike that chord where she just speaks for the that, like, essence of teenage angst and all its complexity. And I think she has a really fun POV and, and she has a playful way of, like, owning her age while also, like, not, you know pandering or seeming too twee like she sings about like you know getting drunk maybe one song is about cocaine i don't know Ooh. i don't know but it's all like it's more mature than music white I powder to on my nose yeah <laughs> <laughs> well did you did you see fun. did you see the pictures on twitter of uh that what they were like oh taylor swift did cocaine oh no there's some there's some photo that's like on a red carpet or something anyways you can sort of like see up her nose and people zoomed in (laughs) and there's like white powder and stuff up there and people were like she did cocaine and then other people were like (laughs) no she might have done ketamine (laughs) (laughs) i feel like with any red carpet if you see powder the chances are it's it's just the setting powder it's It's cocaine it's cocaine i think (laughs) i mean it could be it it I guess we didn't even talk about the fact that she was back on her uh, awards show BS. Oh yeah, she's just a good creating time. like memes really after loose. memes after memes. Do you think that this will encourage her to go to more shows? Because I feel like people were loving it on the internet. Oh yeah, I think that's Taylor at her best. Like I think the thing people didn't like was like the surprise face when she won. But I think this last you know six or seven years where she's just partying at the award shows is what people like. And especially now that she's partaking in alcohol, um, people find her more relatable and or palatable and or funny. So, yeah, because there was also the picture of like the waiter coming around with like yeah. the seven vodka sodas. And she's yeah. like, ah, <laughs> yeah, she loves the vodka tonic, I think um, she's said before. A and there's also drink. like her her there's a clip where her. um publicist tree pain is trying to give her water and she like physically will not take it she's like you can please get this out of my face like (laughs) so she's single and she's loving it um but yeah uh there's drama maybe between her and olivia rodrigo but olivia rodrigo for her credit said that none of this album is about taylor and that's just not a thing she cares about like the beef supposedly between them um and I like her album, so it's been a good time. It's been been a good uh, soundtrack to my 
32 year old life with my toddler in tow. So <laughs> are there are there Swifties who are not listening to this album out of protest of some sort of grudge between the two that maybe I don't happening? think so, because okay. if you're a diehard Swifty who thinks there is bad blood, their argument is, well, it's just business. And like Olivia, you know, I think it's less like I think each stan is delusional about their chosen one right so it's less that they hate the other but it's more like i get olivia's pov i get taylor's pov like this is what happened when in reality we might just never know mm-hmm. maybe it'll show up on taylor's next album yeah <laughs> well, with her song her cocaine on the red carpet yeah. <laughs> a classic hit you um, need to into that so hard <laughs> Me, yeah, that would be yours and Anne Hathaway's favorite. (laughs) (laughs) We cannot relate to that, Shelby. I don't know where you're getting this information that Anne Hathaway and I are doing blow on the red carpet together. But if it, if 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 the opportunity, if she should offer it, I will say yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, okay. My love it or hate it is a movie I saw in Toronto, which has since come out at, at least in a limited release. Um, which is Dumb Money, the oh, okay, yeah. GameStop movie starring Paul Dano and Pete Davidson, Shailene Woodley, America Ferreira, Nick Offerman, a ton of different people. Um, so I like vaguely was aware, but not that much aware of the whole GameStop stock <laughs> situation that happened oh, during yeah. the pandemic where all of these people were buying GameStop stock to like, screw over these big investment firms who had somehow or another like betted against GameStop and so were losing money if GameStop did well. I, it was it's very confusing to me. Yeah. Um and honestly still is. I watched a documentary <laughs> on the subject that came out a couple of years ago and I don't even know why I went and saw this. I saw it in theaters with my roommate and I think it was a situation in which like we wanted to go to a movie and that was the only thing that I hadn't seen. But that was confusing. And then we get to this movie. This is the third time that I'm now delving into these facts. Still confused as to what actually happened with the stocks and whatever. But (laughs) this movie is very entertaining and very fun. And I feel like rightly kind of only gives you enough in as much information as you need for the movie and doesn't try to, you know, the big short you and and give you a lot of facts about stuff. Um, And yeah, it's it's a. It's like a perfect ensemble movie, I think, where you have all of these. So the main, I I don't even know if there's, the main character (laughs) is this guy, Roaring Kitty, played by Paul Dano, who's sort of leading the charge on this Reddit uh, forum to buy the GameStop stock. And so you get his story and what's going on with him and his wife, played by Shailene Woodley. And then you also get the story of these, sort of big wig investment firm people. And then you also get the story of these various like sort of podunk individuals who are investing in GameStop um, based on Roaring Kitty's sort of uh, advice. And so you just have all of these different storylines and all of the characters I think are so well like formed and fleshed out, even though you only get them in little bursts and the way that everything's edited together and that the story is told, it just like is 
re- a really, really great script, I think. It's from the guy who um, directed I, Tanya, and also some mm. other movies like Cruella, which were bad. <laughs> but, but I don't know. It just, like, sort of all works. And I think he cast it really well and so that even the people who are usually annoying work really well in the roles that they're in like pete davidson is great as paul dano's sort of like uh chumpy little brother and shailene woodley who i always sort of find annoying is funny in the movie and i don't know it's just like a really engaging watch and i was not expecting it i sort of went in thinking that i was going to hate this movie and really enjoyed it a lot so I would recommend, and it's also a stick it to the man, eat the rich movie, yes. which I love. And also America Ferreira is really good in it. And dare I say her best performance of the year in a better movie that. than Barbie. I love that there's so many opportunities for her to have best of. Like, yeah. Yes. We do love America. Um, we do love America Ferreira. <laughs> Ugly Betty Ferreira. I, I saw the trailer for this movie and I was actually so excited. So I'm glad to hear it was good. Um I'll have to wait for it to arrive in my theater, but it looked fun. Although I stuff should story. get to you now through. soon, yeah. sooner. Yeah. Because now you're in one of the main markets. You're not in Houston anymore. I know. I'm just saying I would have seen that like this weekend if I could have, but I didn't. I don't know. Right. I don't know when it comes Well, it out must be showing likely. somewhere in LA. Yeah, I guess But maybe just true. not by you. Yeah, maybe not an AMC. Uh, anyways, um, instead, <laughs> instead, I went and saw the Death on the Nile sequel that I didn't know was coming out until I was forced <laughs> to witness it. Um, a, a murder in Venice. No, uh, a haunting, a haunting in Venice. A haunting in Venice. Another Perot, Perot, Perot music. We uh, didn't do... I think Murder on the Orient Express was before our podcast yeah, started. Yeah, yes. So, yeah. but we did do an episode on Death on an Isle. So, we did. feels correct that we're we back for a third one. To- Fill the <laughs> Nile. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll be back on Thursday to discuss that movie. And then next week, we might be taking off again due to various circumstances. Uh, but. Luckily for us, there's not that much coming out. So we're mercifully uh, given the ability to skip yeah. Big Cut Greek Wedding 3 and The Nun 2 <laughs> and movies such as that. But truly, stay truly tuned because on Thursday, we'll be talking about Hunting in Venice and all of the crazy shenanigans going on there. See you then. Bye. Bye.